Schools are changing every day. How do we map where these changes come from and gain critical perspectives to navigate this terrain? After all, we are not alone in the challenges and opportunities we face. This is Joe, John, Jennifer, Roberta, and Michael with If School Walls Could Talk, a podcast that helps learning communities gain broader perspectives on their work. Hey, John, I'm excited about today's podcast. What do we have? Yeah, Joe, we have a topic called The Portrait of a Graduate, and it is a process that a number of schools like yours and mine are adopting and have adopted with the idea of taking a a student and thinking about what skills and what knowledge do we want them to have by the time that they graduate. And we feel that whether your school is pursuing a portrait to graduate, whether you're planning to pursue the development of one, or even if you're not, there are some powerful lessons that you can take away that might change your practice and might change your approach to how you think about some of these skills at your school. Absolutely. And related to that, I think that one of the most important pieces is that this conversation frames this idea of transferable skills uh, within the context of education. It asks, what skills are our students going to need in their academic, their professional, and in their personal lives as the world changes in the next coming years? And I think in addition to that, it helps schools think about their entire program and think about which experiences whether it's in the classroom or outside of the classroom, help build those skills in our students, helps you to find a better vision for the program you offer your students on the ground in your schools. You bet. So who did you talk to? I talked to Greg Bamford from Charles Wright Academy. He's the assistant head of schools, and he spent the last year leading the faculty and staff through the development of a portrait of a graduate on the ground there at Charles Wright. I think of as a portrait. I think of a portrait of a graduate um, as a way for a school to articulate the enduring transdisciplinary skills that they build over the course of a student's experience at that school. Okay. Um, and so those those words that I used, enduring and transdisciplinary, I think have been at the heart of our conversations. That they are a way of thinking about um, our program horizontally. If you imagine that so much of a student's experience is isolated into horizontally organized programmatic or disciplinary silos, that a portrait of a graduate identifies those skills, habits, and mindsets that connect individual pieces of a student's experience and individual parts of um, the curricular experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're enduring, meaning they should be relevant through the life of your program. So at Charles Art Academy, where we start with three-year-olds, we have wanted to frame mindsets that are relevant in an age-appropriate way, mm-hmm. olds as well as 18-year-olds. Um, and I guess the third word we've used, in addition to enduring and transdisciplinary, is the idea of relevance, that they are relevant to a child's future, um, and in particular, relevant to a future that is somewhat unknowable for those of us today. I spoke with Shannon Rush, uh, who is an instructional coach at the Catlin Gable School uh, and was a former department math chair. And she also was the co-chair of a portrait of a graduate team that I worked on this last year and brings in a ton of knowledge about what the portrait of a graduate might look like for a teacher, uh, what it might look like for a student, uh, and also what it might look like for participants in the process of creating a portrait of a graduate. I think there are a couple things that pop up to me. That idea of seat time, mm-hmm. that the, the old 
transcript or what we would communicate externally about a student, which is another aspect of a portrait of a graduate, right? We're exter- communicate externally what our kids can do mm-hmm. and what kind of thinkers they are, and yeah. et cetera. Was more just about what experience did they have? Mm-hmm. You know, I sat in U.S. history and I sat in calculus. And then the other element to it is is this authority or, you know, the teacher's expertise mm-hmm. in what they accomplished in that. Yeah. But there's, there's so much missing. There's this assumption, base assumption, that if you were to assign an A and I was to assign an A, it would mean the same thing. Mm. Um, and if you went to another institution and it, the transcript said U.S. history and there was an A on it, that those A's would all mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. And in actuality, they don't. Mm-hmm. And so what excites me about the, the newer way of thinking about helping students and other people understand what has happened for that student's learning yeah. is that we get more specific about the individual path for each kid yeah. and where, and actually that makes me think about the old traditional system is also very singular in that every kid ends at the same time. Yep. And the, if you dig deeper into it too, there's this rewarding of kids that can do it quickly. that mm. can do it, you know, they can jump through the hoops in, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think this way of looking at it with competency based in the portrait of graduate allows for different paths, allows for different timing. Um, and that's really exciting to me. Yeah. I think for students to have that clarity of path, like mm-hmm. where they're going is super helpful for them to realize where they are and, and what's the next step. How do I get to the, the yeah. next step um, to see that they don't, that there can be multiple paths or multiple timelines is very freeing yeah. for kids. It, I think it gives them in that clarity to some focus. I think when it's just like, oh, I need to get an A, there's not really a sure path of how to get there. It can be really overwhelming and yeah. like they'll guess, oh, I need to do this. I need to work harder. I need to, you know, do more. But if it's, it's, if it's about the competencies that have been defined, yeah. It can have more targeted and it gives them language too yeah. for yeah. coming to get help yeah. that I haven't seen. It's a real mindset shift mm-hmm. for a lot of kids, but that I was, when I was talking about kids being overwhelmed with how to improve, I had a couple of stories in that I was thinking of as I was talking about that yeah. where, where kids, you know, had traditionally done really poorly have one in particular had different learning differences, processing speed, yeah. and having a course designed where the speed at which he learned the material was not held against him, but was really about did he learn the material in yeah. the end was super freeing. Yeah. And to see on an assessment instead of like, you know, a B or an 85, but to see, okay, in in these through lines or these um, competencies, I'm doing really well mm-hmm. in fact and in these other ones i'm not mm-hmm. and so i need to focus on those hmm. and not maybe getting those from like to expert level but you know just gradually moving making progress seeing progress and seeing progress yeah was super great and i think the other story that that comes to mind is not necessarily someone who struggles but someone who would have been successful in the traditional system um 
but the student said to me at the end, organizing the course this way with competencies and seeing the progress over time um, helped him see the story or the arc to hmm. math that he had never seen before. Hmm. And, and the connectivity, you know, and, and it wasn't anymore so much about the like, you know, the, the little step that was right or wrong or the answer being right or wrong, but being able to see the progression yeah. of math learning in a new way, which that's exciting to me. I think this process helps us elevate things that are not given as much attention right now. Mm -hmm. I know in our work, we've talked a lot about our whole reconciling, problem solving, critical thinking, some things that we think are essential to being a good community member. Yeah. Well, our current system right now, if a student gets an A or gets a B plus, yeah. it's probably like a better example in, in one of my math classes that really hides both what they know and what they don't know. Mm. So I think what excites me about the portrait of the graduate work is we're able to really highlight student-specific strengths mm -hmm. um, across all disciplines and things that are interdisciplinary. Hmm. That that gets exciting to me. Yeah. So it's not boiling it down. And and also in the in the teaching learning process to be able to have clear communication with kids and parents around yeah. those gaps. Like yeah. why, why the B plus? Like what's missing? Yeah. And, and I think what I see often in my discipline is a kid will feel good about a B plus or an A minus, but it, it masks um, mm. key elements that are missing in understanding and those compound over time. Yeah. And by the time you get to senior year, it's like, why am I struggling? Well, it's because you have all these holes. What I really love about Shannon's interview and what she spoke to in terms of the portrait of the graduate is how it gives me access to authentically reward, give feedback to, and track the student's growth in a variety of areas that might not necessarily relate to the discipline of my classroom. So if I'm an English teacher and I'm rewarding someone's ability to create a coherent essay, I can also set alongside that a reward or set a feedback around how that person collaborates with another person's idea in ways that a student can feel are important, not just to me in my classroom, but to me, my colleagues in my community. Yeah, it really situates our students as these multidimensional people. You know, it's interesting because Shannon's observations are very much at the, the classroom and the teacher and sort of the divisional level. And when you're doing something like the Portrait of Graduate does, which is to essentially reimagine what education can look like, there, there's some a lot of organizational change involved in that. So yeah, let's get into my interview with Greg Bamford, um, assistant head of schools at Charles Wright Academy. He talks about how he included an entire organization, faculty, staff, parents in developing the portrait and how Charles Wright might use the portrait of the graduate to think about the programmatic experiences, whether inside the classroom or outside of the classroom that can build the skills related to the portrait. At Charles Wright Academy, we really wanted it, we wanted the portrait of a graduate to help provide some scaffolding and framing to a program that over time had gotten more diffuse in its focus, hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That, you know, as, as a school that is older, at least in the context of the Pacific Northwest, 
over time, the school had grown, the program had developed amorphously um, due to individual initiatives that were all thoughtful, hopefully, um, and well-intentioned and interesting, but over time had allowed us to um, expand in ways where people sort of ask themselves, gosh, what are we really about? What's most important? Are we trying to do everything? Are we trying to be everything to everyone? Um, and the portrait of a graduate in part was a way to say, hey, what, what really is core programmatically? Mm-hmm. In a way that's more granular than what you might get from a mission statement. Okay. Um, and it was important for us to be able to develop language that employees felt they authentically own and could speak to um, so that we could use the language of a portrait of a graduate to have programmatic conversations, hmm. um, as well as conversations about assessment and professional development and a whole host of um, internal conversations about who we are and who we're becoming as a school. So that's a lot of framing I just gave you. you yeah, no, totally. But it explains, I think, in part why, um, why we made a decision early on to include all employees in the formation of this document, which, you know, if, there, if there's a tension, there's probably an XY graph you could make a process. There's a tension between having a small focus group of people who, because of their size, can maybe think more creatively, more provocatively. They can develop, they can go deep in an inquiry process over time um, and involving more people. But the reality of the fact that all those people are super busy and they all have other jobs and you have rare touch points to touch all of them. um, And therefore, they're not going to be able to go as deep into the process because you have them involved. And Charles Wright is really a medium-sized school nationally, but probably a large school locally. It's, you know, it's 15 grades, three divisions on 100 acres, where people don't often have opportunities to come together, even within divisions, let alone across the 15 grades. Um, So for that reason, we kicked this off um, with our academic leadership team, which are our division directors and assistant division directors, the head of school, me and the director of educational technology mm-hmm. comprised that group this year. Um, and we started by introducing the concept of a portrait of a graduate. What is it for? And we actually worked with global online Academy and uh, Eric Hudson from GOA and asked him to put together an hour for us to kind of lead us through this exploration because I wanted, first of all, an outside provocation um, to kind of come in with that gravitas of outside expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, I wanted to make sure that as we were developing a portrait of a graduate, we were doing it in ways that would set us up for adoption of competency-based learning and uh, potentially towards the adoption of a mastery transcript down the line. Sure. I didn't want the portrait of a graduate to presuppose the adoption of CDL and the mastery transcript. In other words, I didn't want the portrait of a graduate to handcuff us to that particular outcome, but we knew that was on the horizon for us as a mastery transcript school. Um, and I think one of the opportunities we have with a portrait of a graduate is to identify the big buckets within which we can identify individual competencies for student learning over time. Mm-hmm. So why not design that in from the beginning? Um, and Eric Hudson helped frame that. And that was great because it's actually a really cost-effective way to hire a consultant for like an hour on Skype Right, there's no travel cost right, yeah. in the full day, but you get like an hour of provocations. And really, let's start with that academic leadership team owning it and understanding it, having a vision for how we want to use it. Right? What is this thing? Other than a document we might put up on the wall or put in marketing, do we internally as academic leaders have an understanding of how we want to use this to shape our program and to move our school forward? So that was step one. Fair. 
Um, step two is to say, okay, we have this small focus group and we want to go broad. And so Charles Wright has three all employee meetings a year. If you're not including those August days before we come back. Okay. So we kind of colonized those three meetings. Um, there's one in November, there's one in February, there's one in June. And I asked Matt Culberson, our head of school, I said, I want time at each of these meetings. Is that okay? And he said, yes. Um, so we took advantage of the fact that this one time where we have literally all employees, obviously teachers across 15 grades, dining services staff, mm -hmm. um, bus drivers, our coaches, um, accounting, HR, all in the room and spent some time with them talking about what a portrait of a graduate is, showing some pictures of our graduation and what does it mean to see that kid go across the stage, mm. getting them to think a little bit about the kind of kid they want to send out into the world, and then really framing us around the idea that everyone in that room plays a role in the life of a child and in um, leading them towards graduation. And that was a really important conceptual decision that we made, that this wasn't just for what, we, what, I, what I call classroom educators, but this was a discussion for all educators on campus and very intentionally framing everyone in there as an educator. Mm -hmm. And I actually started by telling a story about a, a member of the maintenance staff at the Overlake School who had an impact on my life was when I was in ninth grade and uh, very thoughtfully curated a learning experience for me um, that was really meaningful, but he was on maintenance staff, right? Not what we think of as faculty. So we wanted that to be a framing device, and we started the conversation there and had them identify. This is really brainstorm. What is enduring, relevant, and transdisciplinary for these kids? And have that happen at the table. Well, so you do that, and then you end up with like just kind of a mess, right? Process-wise, mm -hmm. of like 40 tables of five people, and they've all come up with different things. But what you've done is you've introduced the idea, and you've had them thinking about it, and they have some investment, and then we made a decision to form um, a portrait of a graduate working group that was cross-divisional to work on. I'll be honest, my original thinking was that it would pop back up to the academic leadership team at that point that we'd started it with. But as I got into it, I really felt like classroom faculty and employees needed to have more ownership throughout the process rather than having it pop up entirely to leadership. And so we recruited two lower school faculty, two middle school faculty, two upper school faculty, and two non-teaching staff. Our mm -hmm. lower school receptionist, Mandy Marcellus, who was an icon in the Charles Wright community, and just that wonderful first presence that kids see in the morning. Um, and then Amy Sintflaben, who is a member of our communications team, um, as well as um, a parent. Okay. And, and was, wanted to have someone from the development communications admission side, um, but also wanted someone who could understand maybe the, the parent-facing aspect of this. So we got those eight people together, and we started by doing some readings on kind of current century learning, right? Mm -hmm. Learning. Um, read a section from this book, Creating Innovators, yep. Tony Wagner. Took a look at some samples and really just took some time. I think we watched a couple of TED Talks and really just spent some time thinking about, okay, what is the world going to be like that we're sending kids into? And we just had that big discussion. And that was important for us because it wasn't a discussion we had as a school before, kind of systemically. I think part of what is unique about our approach to the portrait of a graduate is that we're not coming at it with an already defined educational philosophy. Mm -hmm. We're actually using the portrait of a graduate to help us articulate an educational philosophy, if that makes sense. Yeah, not saying that. So we wanted some provocations, right? Like how do we provoke people's thinking if we don't already have a clear sense about what we're about? How do we ensure that we get beyond our 
um, initial conventional thinking or what I happen to do in the classroom that works for me or what I've seen modeled from the teachers around me. So we started with that discussion. Mm -hmm. We also sent a parent survey out and this was really at the suggestion of Eric Hudson. And what he said is don't necessarily ask parents for what should be in the portrait of a graduate, right? But ask what hopes and aspirations they have for their child. And so we actually collected 180 parent responses to, what is your hope for your child's future after Charles Wright? Mm -hmm. and we have used that in a really um, generative way, both in the formation of our portrait of a graduate and in the formation of our school's mission, which we are doing in parallel at the board level. And so, you know, parents end up with all these different responses, right? Some people are like, I want them to get to the college of their choice. I want them to be professional success and make a lot of money. I want them to know what it is to be part of a community. I want them to be adaptable and be able to navigate and run whatever comes their way. Mm -hmm. I want them to be a good person, <laughs> right? Um, all of these different things start coming out, and we use that as a way to say, okay, if this is where the world is going, and this is kind of how education is going, and this is what our parents want, now let's look at what was generated with those lenses, those two lenses. Right. Let's look at what was generated in those employee meetings. Because we as a small focused group have had an opportunity to go a little bit deeper in our thinking and really provoke and push each other in a way that's deeper than what you can do in an all faculty meeting with 170 people in an auditorium. <laughs> but let's authentically take what they came up with and view it through that lens. So that was step three. I think if I'm counting my steps correctly. Yeah, absolutely. That's step three. Forming that working group and processing, kind of threshing what came out and then developing um, some possible buckets. And buckets is actually the language that GOA uses, but you know, what are the individual abilities or competencies that you want in a portrait of a graduate? And um, I think the challenge I gave the group was we can have four to six, but not more. Wow. So that sounded like a massive undertaking. It sounded like there were so many stakeholders that needed to be engaged so many whittling down processes, so many uh, accepting all ideas, but then also needing to take those and, and, and draw a line in the sand saying, this is where we stand. It, it sounds like a lot of work and yeah. it sounds like there's a lot of work to be done. My school is all in and everybody's in, which is a massive undertaking. Yeah. Well, so as you're thinking about this going into your next school year and in light of that massive undertaking, what what is something that you plan to do, like say tomorrow, if you're going into your class or you're going into a department meeting, what, what is one adjacent step that you plan to take? You know, besides the official writing of rubrics to help achieve these portraits that Charles Wright's going to undertake this year, one of the things that I just really wanna do is that if there's something I value in terms of growing students in my own classroom, I wanna be able to make sure I connect with another colleague who might teach at that same grade level and say, hey, I'm thinking about evaluating and incentivizing and giving feedback on collaboration in this way. What do you think? Do you wanna share this responsibility with me? Maybe we can work on it together. Just to have those like grade level conversations so it's just not me being the guy who's like weirdly teaching collaboration in an English classroom, but that me being the guy who teaches collaboration along with someone else at that same grade level so that students see it as being a cohesive part of their experience. Yeah, I can relate to that. One thing that I see as a necessary step if we're taking collaboration as an example would be even continuing to, to 
define what that word means at the granular level. And I think that one way that could be useful is to think about well, what are the specific behaviors that a student might demonstrate to where I know that they are collaborating. Yeah, so if you're running a lab, um, how do I know that those students are working in that lab together? As opposed to if we're running a group discussion, how do I know that my students are working on that discussion sure. together? Yeah. Um, we could have that conversation and maybe we can share ideas and work on it together. Let's do it. All right, so so much of the portrait of the graduate feels to be about creating conversations amongst an entire community about how a student can develop through the course of their experience in a school. At the very least, let's continue these conversations. Great, thanks, Joe. Yeah, thanks, John. We hope this podcast will spark conversation and action. See our discussion guide for other questions and topics to ignite movement with your own community.